0: But uh, tonight what we want to talk about is the importance of our cooperation with God, Uh, and I titled it Prosperity Preventions, but it's not really about money. Uh, You can apply it about that, but it's not really about that at all. It's about the will of God and bringing the will of God to pass in our life. Now. I don't know about if you know this, but uh, let's start with Proverbs 24, 30 through 34, and then we'll get into that. I went by the field of the lazy man, I'm by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns, its surface was covered with nettles, its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it, and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, so shall your poverty come like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. So first point I want to look at is God's plan is for your prosperity. So we all going, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's think about that. Okay, I'll, I'll say amen after you tell me what you mean by prosperity. Okay, let's get into this. Genesis 1, 26 through 31. God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful. Be prosperous. Multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. In other words, I don't want you to fail. I want you to succeed. And I want you to succeed abundantly. I want you to multiply not addition he didn't say subtraction he didn't say division he said multiplication God is in the multiplication and he wants us to be blessed he wants us to prosper we are his creation and he didn't create his creation to fail right So then he said, God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth, every tree whose fruit yields seed to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So now what we need to understand, first of all, is that when God wanted something to happen, he began to work right? Now, God doesn't work the way we work. God works by speaking, and the Spirit of God, who is God as well, he speaks the Word. The God, the Father, speaks the Word, and the Spirit of God begins to move. There's the Godhead functioning, working, but they're doing work, right? Nothing happens without the work. Nothing happens without work. So God began to work, And when he worked and he began to create, he saw everything that he had made and he saw that it was doing good, and so he said it was good, right? So now, then he creates humanity, and the reason he creates humanity is so that humanity can continue the work of God. You see, God initially worked on his own without an intermediary, But then when he began to create his creation, everything he does since then is he works through his intermediaries, through his creation. It doesn't mean God can't work outside of creation, but if God's going to prophesy, he uses a man or a woman to do it. If God wants something to happen, he'll send somebody there to declare the word of the Lord. Now, God is doing the work, but he's working through his people. Remember when he wanted to part the Red Sea? He didn't say, get out of my way, Moses. He said, Moses, get in front of the people, lift up your staff. And when Moses did his part, God did his part. Now, God could have done it another way. He could have done it on his own, but he didn't. He chose to do it through humanity because that's what he created us to do. And what he created us to do was to work. We'll get into that a little bit more in a minute, but let me me first say this. God's desire is that as his creation, all of his creation would prosper. Deuteronomy 29 and 9 says, Therefore keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. Now, one of the things that we're going to realize is that in order to prosper with God, we've got to learn how to do things his way. Any of y'all ever got a how many of y'all got gifts for Christmas that needed to be assembled? How many of y'all tried to do it without the instructions? <laughs> how many of y'all somewhere in the process said, Where did I put that instruction manual? (laughs) I need to get it out, and I need to read the instructions. God also has an instruction manual. He has a way of doing things. He created this world. He created creation, and he has a way of doing things, and the way he does things is outlined and presented to us in his word. Psalms 1, 1 through 3, what happens when we come into agreement with God and begin to work with God and begin to do things His way? It says, blessed is a man or a woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. What kind of person will that be? He will become, or he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit. In its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, I know there's been a lot of uh, abuse and a lot of extremes when it comes to prosperity and the teaching of prosperity, but you can't throw it out of the Bible. I don't know about you, but I want my kids to prosper. Why wouldn't God want his kids to prosper? Right Now, we know as we get older that sometimes what you need is not more money. Sometimes what you need is more wisdom. Sometimes what you need is not more money. What you need is better relationships. Sometimes what you need, we always tend to couch prosperity in terms of money. If I can get more money, I'll be happy because then I can buy my happiness. No, and what you find is that money doesn't buy happiness. No, happiness, is, and it's actually it's not happiness, but joy, which is the joy of the Lord, He gives for free. Now, money can help to uh, emphasize or bring a, a channel to channel that joy. And What you'll find uh, later on in life, it's not the more that I have, the more joyful that I have, but the more that I have, the more I can give away, and when I give away, that brings me joy. It's giving that brings joy. Now, we have to receive in order to be able to give, but if we just receive and receive and never give, we become like the Dead Sea. And it's good for nothing, and there's no life in the Dead Sea because all it has is an inlet, but it has no outlet. God wants us to prosper, but he doesn't want us to prosper just so that we can have more. He wants us to prosper so that we can give away more, right? God's desire is for us to prosper. John 10 and 10. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. Now, how many of you know he could have stopped right there? It's not where he stopped. He said, I don't just want you to have life. I want you to have more abundant life. I want you to have a life that is extreme in how it, it manifests in your life. Third John and 2, and I know it's a greeting, and people say you can't use it this way, but I believe that every part of God's Word is, uh, is, uh, is, is God's revelation to us, and you can glean from this. that uh, John says, Beloved, I pray that, that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. So what do we learn from this? That the key foundation of, for us as a people is it's from the inside out. We tend to think prosperity is from the outside in, but prosperity doesn't work from the outside in. It works from the inside out, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. So if God wants to do something in your life, he begins on the inside. And as we begin to get into agreement with God and begin to come into harmony with God, then all of a sudden the life of God begins to work in us. It begins to flow out of us. And then out of that life comes prosperity of soul, and then comes prosperity of finance. There's all these different things, prosperity of relationships. God wants to prosper us in so many different ways. Amen? Okay, so God's desire is to prosper us, but in order to experience prosperity, prosperity must partner with work. In John fifteen one through 2, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Did you notice that Jesus reveals the Father's desire is that you would be fruitful, that you would bear more fruit. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that means that you would prosper. Right? You would be fruitful. What he also discloses is that for you to be fruitful requires pruning. Any of y'all here gardeners? What is, is pruning just happen automatically? No, you have to... Put on your pruning gloves. Well, some of y'all don't have pruning gloves. But you gotta get your pruning scissors, you know, or get your steel, uh, you know, chainsaw, whatever it is that you want to use. And you gotta go outside, and you gotta put some work to those plants. Which is why my plants—I don't have any plants because I don't like to do that. So, in a pruning is an action. Um, Pruning is an action that is done by the vine dresser. Pruning is work. For us to be fruitful as people requires work. Likewise, for what we desire to be fruitful will require work from us as well. It is the pattern for life. It was God's design from the beginning. Genesis 2.15 The Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. That word tend actually means to cultivate it. If you're going to plant a field... You got to prepare the ground. That's what it means to cultivate. You got to work the ground. You got to prepare the ground to receive the seed. If there's no man to prepare the ground, you can still put seed, but it's not going to be prosperous the way God intended without the man, without humanity, without people to work the ground. This is pre fall, pre sin. God created us to work. Work is, work is not a curse word. Work is a blessing from God. It is what we were designed to do. We were created to work. It is the blessing of God to work. Some of you that have retired, you realize, this is not what I thought. I want to go back to work. Because you enjoy, you may not enjoy all there is about your work, but you enjoy Working. People that retire and sit on a a recliner and just watch TV all day long and lose their motivation, they end up dying early. The ones that live longer are the ones that even if they don't work in what they used to work at when they retire, they find a work to do. Sometimes I know a friend of mine that he's a fisherman, but he works at fishing, right? Right? You have something that is consuming your time and something that you're putting effort into. It's what we were created to do. Then there came the curse, Genesis 3:17 through 19. So pre-curse, we were created to work. And in the curse, Adam's, uh, uh, then to Adam, God said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. Just want to say law there for a minute. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> All right, I, I didn't do that on purpose. All right. <laughs> and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying you shall not eat of it cursed is the ground for your sake now cursed is the ground for your sake in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field so it's going to bring forth fruit but it's also going to bring forth thorns and thorns and thistles and it's going to require it's no longer going to be work it's going to be toil in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So anytime you mention work, um, Christians always bring up the topic of salvation by, an aside, salvation by grace, not by works. You see, sometimes what we do is we take a word that has two different applications and we sum it all up in one to try to, under, to, try to justify what we think. Not realizing that this particular case, work, uh, works and salvation, is different than works what we do. Okay? But people always confuse the two. So this is a good time to kind of just set that straight. In James 2:17 through 18, it says, "...thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead." But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, if you don't have anything to back up what you say, you're just talking in the air. You're talking in the wind. But if you, what you say is backed up by fruit in your life, then and that fruit is a product of what you do. That We're talking about works. So let's be clear. Uh, clear. We are not saved by works. We're saved by grace. We're saved by the work, by the way, that God did on the cross of Calvary. He did a work. God showed us through Christ the work of that how God works, and he did a work through Christ, and we're saved because of his work on the cross in Christ. We are saved by his grace and grace alone. But grace does not exempt us from work. In fact, grace frees us and empowers us to work. We are saved to do the works of God. You might say to yourself, well, I I won't believe it unless you show me. Okay, well, uh, I just happen to have proof in the Word of God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. First of all, we'll touch the first part. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Those first two scriptures, first two verses that most of us are taught to, uh, before we get saved, we're taught to memorize. But you know what? I was never taught verse 10. And verse 10 is a part of the same scripture passage. Same context. So I want to read the whole thing so that you don't think it's a separate verse. I don't happen to like verse-by-verse Bibles. There's nothing wrong with them. You can read them if you want to. Because if you have a verse-by-verse Bible, you don't realize that everything is in context. I like Bibles that flow like a paragraph, and the verse is here and here and here and here, because you see what you see as a paragraph helps you to realize that it's a context. Right now, people that have verse by verse and they've done them all their life, they kind of understand that there's a context to it. But new people, new believers, I like to get them verses that are in context, shows things by context. So I want to read this whole passage for you. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're not saved because of any work that we do, but through the work of God at Christ, we receive grace by faith in his work, but we don't receive grace by faith just to sit in church and listen to the preacher. That's a good thing to do, by the way. We receive grace so that we can grow and then begin to participate in the work of God. Now, this is a foreign application to a lot of us because we didn't grow up this way. But some of y'all came from agricultural backgrounds. Some of y'all didn't come from wealthy families. And many, uh, anybody here watch, um, what was that show where there was a track team with Kevin Costner and they were growing up in the valley. It was a really good show. Um, but the kids, he wanted to start a cross-country team and the, the best runners um, they had to wake up at four o'clock in the morning to go work in the fields so that they could uh, help the family provide uh, uh, food for the household. And then after they did that, then they would go run, they'd go to school, they would run, uh, they would go back to, to, to run, and then they'd have to go help in the fields again after work. I mean, after school. But, see, what happens is uh, in an agricultural society, when children are born, you love them, you care for them, but they're not just there to be doted on. There are workers in the making. Right? They, they grow up, and they, as soon as they're old enough, they have chores. They've got to get done. See, the, if I can give a chore away to my child, that's one less chore that I have to do. doesn't mean I'm not busy. It just means many hands make for lighter work. So why would they have big families, 12, 13, 14? Because that was more hands to work the fields. But you had children to work. Then the Bible say, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the corn. Uh, uh, um, there's, a, there's a scripture in uh, Proverbs 14. Um, I think it's this. It's, uh, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but an abundant harvest comes by the strength of an ox. Well, we want to have children today. Children are just beautiful things, you know, that you put a little nice ribbons on if they're girls. And that's the way it should be. <laughs> anyway, you know, and we just, you know, all this kind of stuff. But back then, I would tend to think that people would say, um, this is going to be a f- my, my, uh, my farmhand. This is going to be my rancher. If you were going to have a child, it was going to cost you a lot because you had to feed the child. You had to clothe the child. You know, you had to do and you didn't have Visa to help you, right? But the reason you invested in the child is because if you invest in this child, when it gets older, it's going to produce, it's going to work, and it's going to help us together as a family do more than we could have ever done on our own, right? So we are his workmanship. We're his sons and his daughters, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, You are the light of the world. Yay, I'm a light, yay. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under their ha- This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, let's finish the passage. Verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Ooh, I didn't ever think about that. Your works. Don't walk around with a little light on your head. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about you let the light of God shine through what you do. Right? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So how is the Father glorified in heaven? By your works. By the things that you do. Are Are we following here? Are we tracking? Okay. So Jesus himself described the Father as working. And because the Father was working, he also was working. John 5 and 17, Jesus answered them, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. So we tend to think that after creation, God stopped working. Jesus tells us, no, he didn't stop working. What he did is he stopped uh, working independently, and he began to work through creation. And that's why Jesus said, my father is working and I've been working. Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, he's the son of God, but he left his deity uh, aside when he came to earth. He was still 100% God, but he didn't, he didn't function as God on the planet. He functioned as a human being. And God anointed, in, empowered him. The spirit of God was on him with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went around doing good. Good what? Works. What kind of works did he do? Healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. The expectation by the Lord is that like Christ, like him, we too would partner with him in the work of God by working in cooperation with God. Matthew 9, 36 through 38. But when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Let me put this in a context, maybe it will help you. And the workers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Turn to somebody and say, I think he's talking to you. I'm not sure he's talking to me. Into his harvest. John 14 and 12. Most assuredly, Jesus says, He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. So if God's desire is for us to prosper, and prosperity entails that we cooperate with God by working, then what is it that hinders our prosperity? Did I make a good case that God wants us to prosper? Yeah. Right? So, what hinders prosperity? Well, I'm going to touch on two of those tonight. One is prosperity can prevent prevented, that's why I titled this Prosperity prevent- Preventions. Prosperity can prevent, be prevented by slothfulness. You ever see a sloth? You're gonna pick his nose. It's gonna take two hours. They are so slow. <laughs> Proverbs six ten through eleven, which is our text. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. That's not our text. It's another scripture. But here's a, here's another one that that just floored me when I heard it. He who is slothful in his work. Is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. So you know what that means? Who is a great destroyer? The thief cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So you're in the same family if you're slothful. If you're slothful, can I put it this way? If you're slothful, you're not doing the works of God, you're doing the works of the devil. You're kidding me. That's what the Word of God teaches. What does slothful mean? Lazy. You're lazy, right? Now, we're not talking about, listen, if you're hurt or you're injured and there's stuff. We're not talking about those kind of scenarios. I'm talking about character as a person in general. You can't get anything done by being lazy. If you want to succeed in, we're not even talking about Christianity, in life in general, you have to work. Unless you have a great inheritance, and if you haven't worked and you receive that inheritance, you're not going to have it for very long. Because work teaches you how to handle things. Work teaches you responsibility. Work teaches you discipline. Uh, I'm I'm always reminded, even even, uh, I came from a middle class family, so I didn't really have to work. But I learned how to work in another dimension. I actually grew up a little bit lazy because my, my dad would tell us to do stuff and we just would ignore him and he never made us do things. And I, I regret that. I'm not trying to uh, tell you that, that, that in any way glory in that. Is uh, That's just the way we were. It's what I came out of. Right? So then what happened, though, is uh, I got involved in Tennis. And when I started playing tennis, um, you know, I, 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 I wanted to get better, uh, you know, so we went out and played a little bit here, a little bit there. And, and then one day my, my, my dad pitted my brother who was younger than me against me and he beat me and that made me mad. And I realized, hey, I don't, I don't want that to happen anymore. So what I began to do is I began to play. Before I didn't want to get up to go to, work, to, to, go to school. But now I could go to school early. Nobody made me. I got up early, and I said, Dad, would you take me on your way to work? Would you take me to school at 7 o'clock in the morning? I'd get up, be ready to go by 7 o'clock so I could play in the morning. And then after school, we would play in the afternoon. And basically for seven years of my life, two hours a day, every day, I played tennis and sometimes more. What, what I learned how to do is I learned how to be disciplined. I learned how to put in the work, right? And by the way, my brother never beat me again after that. Because my brother was real talented, but my brother didn't put in the work. Right? So I learned how to work. If you're gonna be in ministry, I'm not that anybody here has called him any, but if you're gonna be in ministry, you have to be self-disciplined. You have to, you have to be diligent. And without anybody watching over you, you have to have some sense of responsibility that I've got to get stuff done. Now, most of us will work for a company and, and, and we'll do things at a company because we've got somebody watching over us, right? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. We, we function that way. The world functions that way. The church functions that way, right? But if you want to be at the top A lot of times people think, well, I want to make it to the top, because if I get to the top, then I won't have to work as hard. No. No, I'm so sorry it doesn't work that way. What actually happens in the kingdom of God is to go up, you got to go down. Right? And you actually work harder than everybody else, and you have to learn how to take the blame for yourself and give the credit to somebody else all the time working. Now, I got off on a tangent. Let me come back. God's desire is that you prosper. In order for you to prosper spiritually, also we must work. Luke eight fifteen, but the ones that fell, the seed that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with perseverance. The word keep is from the Greek word katecho, which can mean to take possession of, to capture, to control, or to occupy. So it's more than just receiving something and saying thank you very much and putting in your back pocket. It's actively working to keep and to watch and to cultivate and to tend which God has put something that God has put you in possession of. The seed is the Word of God. If you don't actively work to put yourself in a position to receive that seed, you will not prosper. If you don't actively cooperate with God to put that seed to work, you will not prosper. Romans 12 and 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, I want to grow in the things of God. I want to prosper in the things of God. Well, when was the last time you read your Bible? Well, why do I have to do that to prosper? Because the Word of God teaches us to do that. In fact, it says, 2 Timothy 2 and 15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Rightly dividing the Word of truth. That requires work, study, reading it every day. Well, I don't like to read. Well, you you can listen to it every day. But you're not going to prosper without meditating in the Word of God, without allowing the Word of God to work in your life, but not just so you have more knowledge, so you can put the Word of God to work. You see, when you get saved, you don't get a new mind. You have to transform your mind. You have to bring your body under subjection. And a subjection to what? The Word of God. Well, I thought the Spirit of God did that. No, the Spirit of God will cooperate with you and he will help you, but you have to do it. You have to know what God's will of. How are you going to know what God's will of if you don't read the Word of God, you don't study the Word of God, you don't meditate in the Word of God, and then you have to put it into action in your life? The Holy Spirit might say, don't do that, but he can say that, but if you don't cooperate with him and don't do what he says, it's not going to work. How do I know it's the Holy Spirit? Because you've been studying to show yourself approved. You know what God's voice sounds like because you know what the Word of God says. Right? So prosperity, God's desire for your life, can be prevented by slothfulness. (laughs) Slothfulness. I have to say it slow to get it, yeah. Laziness. Right? God doesn't want a lazy church. He doesn't want lazy people. Right? We can make ourselves busy somehow, some way, doing something in the kingdom of God. Now, prosperity can be prevented by slothfulness, but it can also be prohibited by injustice. I'm just touching on two things tonight. So prosperity can be prohibited by injustice. Proverbs 13, 23. Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, but for lack of justice, there is waste. What is justice? Well, let me start with righteousness. Righteousness is that which is right in the eyes of God. It's God's desire and will manifested in through it, and, and through an individual in their life. What does God say is right? When I live right, when I've been made right and I live right, I am righteous. What is righteousness? God's will. I do God's will in my life. That's righteousness. Now, justice is when your righteousness begins to, to affect the society around you. Right? So when there's no... Righteousness in society, we call that injustice. So this scripture says there's a lot of food in the ground, the fallow ground of the poor, but that word fallow means unworked. But they can't work their ground because of injustice. What do people want to do? They want to steal the the ground of the poor. They want to keep them from prospering. Welfare is a way of keeping people from prospering. Well, i got to fund the politics again. Bad, bad pastor. Anyway, because if you don't give people incentive to work, guess what they're going to do? They're not going to work. Welfare actually incentivizes broken families. It incentivizes having kids without fathers because they pay you more for every kid that you have. But what is breaking down society, which is an injustice, is fatherlessness. Parents. I'm not saying it's not important to have a mother, but the great lack today is a lack of fathers, particularly in the African-American community. Not just in that community, but particularly in that community, but also in other communities as well. And, and modern-day feminism is not helping it. I don't need a man. But your children do. Families do. Right? They don't need a live-in. They need a father that you're in covenant with through marriage. Right? And covenant means that we're going to work through all this stuff. We're going to work through the pain. We're going to work through the hardship. We're going to work through all the the battles that come with marriage. And, yes, there's a lot of battles that come with marriage. But we're going to work through that because we're in covenant which means we don't quit. Divorce is not an option. We don't have that anymore. In fact, I got off on a tangent here, but it's, it's sad that in the church there's no difference in statistics in divorce in the church that there is in the world. Because Christians are infected by the worldly mindset. And when they get saved and they come to church, they don't change their mindset of covenant. They say, I want to be happy. And they don't realize that marriage is primarily not about happiness, it's about fruitfulness. It's about working together to bring forth a family, to raise your kids, to bring the kingdom of God to manifest in your life and through the life of your family. Now, Hopefully that can produce happiness, but there's going to be a lot of times because you're working together that you're going to be unhappy. What? I was never taught this in counseling. Well, I've been married for a while, and you've been married for a while, and I want to tell you something. There have been many times when we are at odds with each other because we see things differently, right? And when you're at odds, guess what? You're not happy. Well, guess what? I'm not happy. Why? Because he makes me work, or he makes he won't let me go spend all this money, or she won't let me go play. Oh, I'm unhappy, so I'm going to get a divorce. Really? Why don't you work through your stuff? Well, because I don't have to because I can get a divorce. That's exactly right. But when you when divorce is not an option, then you you have an incentive to work through your stuff. Am I making sense to you? Okay, let me get back. So justice is the outworking of righteousness in culture, in society, among people. And what the Scripture is alluding to is that for someone to prosper, there has to be an environment, an atmosphere atmosphere where if people do their part, their work can be rewarded. We live in a day when the atmosphere of our culture is that we're entitled to certain things, whether we work or not. People believe that America is the land of entitlement. And that's why we're in how many trillions of dollars of debt already because everybody, that's why you had uh, uh, the the administration say, we're going to cancel everybody's student loans. Why? Because we want your vote. It's not my money, by the way. Now, if they would have done that, I was the first one to sign up for it because they're going to give it away anyway. I'm not telling you not to do that. All I'm just saying is that it ain't right. Right? I'm going to spend somebody else's money. I'm going to take it out of their pocket to make you uh, richer, to make you uh, do things for you. But really, it's not requiring anything from me. I'm just giving stuff away. And look at how much trillions of dollars of debt that we're in. Because the bottom line is that that is not creating An atmosphere for responsibility for people to get ahead it's a land of entitlement I want to give you an entitlement so that you'll vote for me we're probably gonna get kicked off Facebook and YouTube after this but that's okay I, I I don't like that much anyway but in actuality this country is not the land of entitlement it is the land of opportunity the envir- you have the opportunity to succeed if you will work, right? Now, you may not succeed like somebody else succeeds, but you have the opportunity, right? You can actually, in this country, if you work hard, you can have no education and still be extremely wealthy, right? You can have a lot of education and be extremely in debt, so it's not about how much education you have. It's about having the opportunity to do something. That's what this, uh, this environment is supposed to be. The environment that was set up governmentally, economically, socially was one that created the opportunity for someone who worked hard to prosper. And what I want you to see is that way of thinking is biblical and to one, one to which we must return. As a church, I want to equip us with the knowledge, understanding of God and foster an environment where we, as the people of God, if we do what God uh, directs us to do, we can position ourselves to prosper in God. God's ecosystem is designed for fruitfulness, but fruitfulness partners with work. This is a really simple message. I'm, I'm just getting off on tangents. This really not hard. Work hard. In Christ, do it his way, and you'll prosper. Well, I know people that do. But you don't base your life on the exception. You base it on the principle. And the principle of God's word is do what he says, work hard, and you'll prosper. Right? Now, again, don't start comparing, you know, well, I got a, I got a F-150 and, and he's got a little Mazda or whatever. You know, don't do that. That's not how you determine whether you're prospering or not. It's not God's way of determining, but just this is not a hard message. Proverbs 24, 3-4, through wisdom a house is built by understanding, it's established by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Wisdom is God's way found in God's word. Understanding is grasping God's ways. Knowledge is the implementation of God's ways in our life. Vision partners with revelation and work you hear what i'm saying you get god's way you understand god's way you do it and that's how you prosper that's how you bring his will into manifestation in our life so i'm going to i'm going to conclude this but i'm going to go and conclude in a different direction than you might think what we have seen today that god's desires for his creation is that we would prosper in every dimension of our lives he wants us to succeed in those things that he set out for us to do in his work. We've also seen that in order to experience God's desire for prosperity in our lives, we must partner with him by believing him and by faith, setting out to work with him to bring his will to pass in our lives. In short, to see God's will come to fruition in our lives requires work. We have seen that there are two prohibitors to prosperity. The two that we looked at today were slothfulness and injustice. Where these two factors are present, God's will for prosperity will be disrupted. So to give this study a final application, let's look at God's desire for His church in this day and age. We, His people, have been given a commission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Amen. Amen means so be it. Given what we've learned, do you believe God's desire is that we prosper in this mandate? Three of y'all believe that. The rest of y'all aren't sure. It's not a trick question. It's also not a multiple choice question. (laughs) It's either yes or no. Do you believe if God's will is for us to desire to accomplish His will, and if this is God's will, do you believe that God wants us to be frustrated in His will? Do you believe that God wants us to be successful in going into all the world and make disciples of all nations? His desire is that we would prosper, right? I believe every one of us, if you think this through, would say yes, and if you wouldn't, just say yes anyway. So what prevents God's will for us to succeed in this mission? Based on what we learned today, there are two possible factors. One is injustice. The atmosphere of the kingdom is not favorable for success. But let me break that down and see if that's the case. Did Jesus equip us for success? Yes. Matthew 16 and 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. John 14 and 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Acts 1 and 8 you shall receive power of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit has come upon you you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem today is Samaria the ends of the earth Mark 16 17 through 18 these signs will follow those who believe in my name they will cast out demons they will speak with new tongues they will take up serpents if they drink anything deadly it will by no means hurt them they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover so if it's not injustice because it can't be that the atmosphere that we have as a as a people in the kingdom is lacking or it's not conducive for prospering cuz God gave us everything that we need to prosper. True or not? Oop, this is where the sword comes in. So then the other only other reason according to what we've learned today for not prospering has got to be slothfulness. You didn't see that one coming, did you? Revelations 3:15 through 17. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, I've become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I'm not talking to y'all. I'm talking to people out there on the camera. You see, in Laodicea, the church became inward focused and they stopped working for the advancement of the kingdom and began to work for the advancement of themselves. Reminds me of Haggai, where they didn't build the temple and they started to build their own houses. And their houses were paneled and all full of stuff and the prophet came and said, should your houses be like this and the temple of God remain like this? And that's what's happening here when we become apathetic to the world around us, we stop working. But I'm here to tell you that if we'll get to work, the promise of God is we will prosper. I remember days when people would go out and they would hand out tracts. And they would go out and they would evangelize on the streets. And they would have meetings and they would do all sorts of things to reach people. Well... The climate is not favorable for that today. Well, and actually in the book of Acts, they took Peter and John and they said, if you preach anymore in his name, we're gonna, we're, you know, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. The climate was not favorable. So you know what they did? They got all the church together and they said, we need to pray. God, give us more boldness. Because they're trying to tell us that we can't preach the Word. But we know we got to preach the Word. And the reason they're trying to stop us is because we're being successful. And so what we need is more opportunities and more boldness to continue to prosper in what you told us to do. But they had to get to work. Right? What I'm challenging us today as a church, and it doesn't matter if you're young, it doesn't matter if you're old, God's desire for us is restoration. Restoration not only in our lives, but restoration of people's lives that are sick, that are diseased, that are dying, that are lost. How are those people going to experience God's restoration? When we get restored, we will get restored it's not to sit around and say simply, thank you, God. That's awesome. I'll go to church every time the door is open. I'll, I'll sit at the Christian tables in the restaurants. I'll only go to Christian sections at the stores. I'll only listen to, to, to anything that, 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 uh, you know, that is totally separate. I won't, I won't be anywhere near the world. You've missed it. God doesn't want the world in you but he wants you in the world. You understand? Because if you're not in the world working with God, you see, if Jesus was here, he would be out there because he says, my father is working. And I got to partner with him in the work. I'm here to tell us we're about to experience some wonderful stuff. But it's not so that we can just enjoy what he's doing. I'm not telling you not to enjoy it. You will. But it's so that we can be empowered, restored to do the work. Right? And and I don't have this in here, but I've used this quite a bit. Isaiah 60. I think it's Isaiah 61. Here's God's desire for us. The Spirit of the Lord Jesus, we know this is about the Lord, but Isaiah's is prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Some people say, when was the day of vengeance? Is it the day of vengeance coming? I believe the day of vengeance was on the cross. When he took captivity captive and made a public spectacle of the enemy. We keep wanting God to, to do vengeance upon the world, but it's against the enemy that is our true, the, the, the devil, that he executed vengeance. It doesn't mean there won't be a judgment at the end time, but God's desire is not to send anyone to hell. It's to save everybody. You understand? So anyway, let's go. <clears throat> to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion. So who is he comforting? Mourners. To give them beauty for ashes and oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. For who is he giving the garment of praise to? Those who are heavy. Right? Now I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about discouraged, depressed, oppressed. That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they, who? Those who were bound, those who were captive, those who were in mourning, those who were uh, 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 with spirit of heaviness. Those people, they whom God touched, whom God changed, now they who have been restored will go and rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. You know what that means? It means work. And they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations in many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine wrestlers, but you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God, and you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. But my point is that even priests had works to do. We are a a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, but priests, a lot, a lot of people say, Pastor, you only work two hours a week. And that's the, the, the jab that preachers get. And you know what? That's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. But the bottom line is, I even have work to do. Maybe only two hours worth, but I got work to do. We got work to do. What is the work? As you go, make disciples of all nations. Talk to somebody about Jesus. Pray for somebody, right? Uh, and begin to... Begin to work in cooperation with God so that we can bring his desire that people that are lost would be found and we can prosper in the mandate. No longer are we going to be slothful. We, we call it, we're, we're protecting ourselves. No, we're being apathetic and slothful. We got to get out and do the work.